Hello and welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Peter Bell, and we are on Catechism Thursday, number 17. And as always, if you guys have not yet listened to the previous episodes, Saturday with Dr. Carl Truman on his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and Mondays with Dr. Camden Busey of Reform Forum on Theological Education in the Church, Please do yourself a favor, pause this right here, go back to those two episodes, listen to those, catch up, and then we will meet you back here for Catechism Thursday, number 17. So let's get started. We have just one question to answer today, question answer 45. It's a little bit longer for a question answer, still only about 10 minutes long, so let's dive right into it. Question 45 How does Christ's resurrection? benefit us? And the answer, first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. And so Rosinus's exposition of question answer 45. He says two things claim our attention in treating the article of the resurrection of Christ. It's history and benefits. So he says in considering the history, who rose from the dead? He says Christ, the God-man. In what manner did he rise? He who was truly dead recalled his soul and body and came forth gloriously from the grave in which his body was laid on the third day, according to the scriptures. What are the evidences of this resurrection? He showed himself openly to many women and disciples. Then he moves on. And considering the benefits, we will explain more fully throughout this exposition. So he has four questions that structure his answer to number 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. These four questions. First, did Christ rise from the dead? Second, how did he rise? Third, for what purpose did he rise? And then lastly, fourth, what are the benefits or fruits of his resurrection? And so the first question did Christ rise from the dead? He says, this is proven by the testimony of angels, women, evangelists, apostles, and other saints who saw him, felt him, and spoke with him after his resurrection. A truly embodied man, not just a divine spirit, but in a truly fully man and fully God. Then his second question. How did Christ rise? The following circumstances explain the manner of the resurrection of Christ. First, Christ truly rose, his soul returning to his body, which was separated by death. And he truly came forth from the grave, notwithstanding the vigilance of the guards. Second, he rose the same person, the same Jesus Christ very God and very man, which had died. He rose according to his human nature with the very same essence and properties, not deified, 
but glorified, not a higher being, not a more deified, more godly, regular human being, but a glorified human being. Third, he rose by his own power, vanquishing death, restoring himself to a blessed, heavenly, and glorious life by his own divine virtue and power. Fourth, he rose on the third day in the manner just described, because the scriptures, which contain predictions and types, declared he would rise on the third day, and because it was proper that his body should rise free from corruption. Then he moves on to the third of our four questions. For what purpose did Christ rise? And he explains, Christ rose for his own glory and for that of his Father, on account of the prophecies which had been uttered in relation to the death and resurrection of Christ, on account of the dignity and power of the person that rose. And he explains this because he was the beloved, the only begotten Son of God, and Christ is true God, the author and fountain of life. And Christ was in himself a righteous man and has, by his death, satisfied for our sins which were imputed unto him, and that he might carry on the office of mediator, carry on, which he could not have done had he remained under death. He is still our mediator, intercessing on our behalf in heaven. For became the mediator, who is true God and man, to reign eternally. It was necessary that the mediator, who is, a, who is our brother and very man, should continually, here it is, make intercessions for us and appear before God on our behalf as an everlasting priest. And it behooved the mediator, who is true man, to be mediator both by merit and efficacy. And Christ rose for our salvation, and that in three respects. First, for our justification, because the satisfaction would not have been perfect without it. And without such a satisfaction and punishment, it was not possible that we could have been freed from everlasting death, for which the mediator was necessary to entirely overcome it for us. For our regeneration, as justification or the remission of sins is not sufficient without regeneration. And a new life. For the preservation of the benefits which he had purchased for us by his death, and that he might secure our resurrection and glorification. And the last question, number four What are the benefits or fruits of the resurrection of Christ? He says the fruits of the resurrection of Christ are, moreover, twofold, having respect both to Christ and to us. As it respects Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, declared to be the Son of God, the only begotten and natural Son of God, who is also himself God. As it respects us, are various. Generally, it may be said that all the benefits of Christ's death are also fruits of his resurrection. For his resurrection secures the effect which his death was designed to have. Christ, by his resurrection, applies to us the benefits which he has merited for us. It now remains for us to specify particularly 
the principal fruits which the resurrection of Christ secures for us. And he has seven benefits. The resurrection of Christ bears testimony to his merits, that he is perfectly satisfied for our sins. Second, the gift of the Holy Spirit, through whom Christ regenerates us and raises us, raises us up unto eternal life. Third, the resurrection of our bodies is another fruit of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is a pledge of ours because he is our head and we are his members. If Christ be risen, he has abolished sin. As the first Adam received benefits for himself and all his posterity and lost those same benefits for all his posterity, so Christ, the second Adam, received life and glory for himself and us and therefore communicates this life and all his other gifts to us. The resurrection of Christ is a pledge of our regenera regeneration. May be inferred from the fact that the same spirit dwells in us as it did in Christ. Christ is our brother and will not leave us under the power of death. Fourth, the resurrection of Christ confirms his claims to messiahship. For his resurrection is the most complete and exact fulfillment of various prophecies. Fifth, we are assured by the resurrection of Christ that he applied to us the benefit of redemption through his mediatorship and preserves us in the righteousness he made over unto us and commences a new life in us. Sixth, seeing that Christ now lives and reigns forever, we may be certain that he will persevere and defend his church. Seventh, this last, though not the least, benefit resulting from the resurrection of Christ is the consummation of all his benefits and the glorification of the church. He wraps up then. What then is the meaning of this article of the creed? I believe in Christ who rose from the dead on the third day. It means that I believe that Christ did truly recall his soul to his body, which was dead, and quickened it that he retained a true soul and body, and that both are now glorified and free from all infirmity. That he rose by his own divine virtue and power. And then lastly, that he rose for the purpose of making us partakers of the righteousness, holiness, and glorification, which he had purchased for us. Thanks again for joining us for Catechism Thursday, number 17, going over question and answer 45. Stay tuned for Saturday's book club with Dr. James Eglinton talking about his book, Bavink. We are talking about Bavink, his theology, the culture around him, history, some things that you guys might not know about. I certainly didn't know about. My co-host didn't know about Bavink and Netherlands around him, his questions about America, his observations about America, Really interesting episode. So stay tuned for Saturday. We might even have a special surprise again. And then this coming Monday for a regular Monday morning podcast, Dr. J.V. Fesco of Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson talks to us about the covenant of works. And again, there might be a special bonus at the end. So we hope to see you guys next week on Catechism Thursday on the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed theological truth. Please subscribe to us on your podcast catcher, review us, give us five stars, help others find this podcast through your review. Find us on Instagram and Twitter if you want to follow us there. Keep up with our updates and who we're interviewing next and a couple quotes that you guys might find really enriching. We hope to see you guys next week.